Welcome to That Reminds Me of a Story, a podcast dedicated to exploring emerging trends in orality and the communication of the gospel. Our podcast focuses on interviewing practitioners, hearing what is happening in the field of orality, and answering common questions about the orality movement. That Reminds Me of a Story is co-hosted by Grant Lovejoy and yours truly, Don Barger. In each episode, we will host conversations with a wide variety of practitioners to discuss the impacts of working with oral preference learners from many different contexts and perspectives. Well, in today's episode, we're back with uh, J.O. Terry and Grant Lovejoy. And today I want to talk to J.O. about some of the work he's done with uh, story sets and some of the books he's he has dealing with different issues. I know one of the sets that you put together was on grief stories. Could you share a little bit about how you came about developing that set of stories and what was the impetus for putting that set together? Well, this started when I was uh, in Bangladesh. I was down in the southern part of the country uh, doing a Bible story training session for, for a hospital there. And uh, I had learned about uh, the Muslim women who live in that area and how they were closed to anything that was Christian. They didn't want any Christian teaching or preaching. And they were the keepers of the faith in that area, not the men, but the women. Uh, they, they were very strict about this. And uh, the, the staff at the hospital uh, that I was working with, they were concerned about these people. That it was difficult to reach out to them. And so I was thinking about how, how can we break through uh, into this? If they don't want to hear any Christian teaching or preaching, how can we get through to them? So I, I left there still mulling over that. And uh, several weeks later, I was in Pakistan. Uh, also doing some uh, uh, training over there. I stayed in the home of one of our mission couples, and on their coffee table was this book, The Misfortunes That Had Befallen Me. And, and uh, I didn't have anything to do, and so I just picked it up. And so you just picked up a book and started reading? Started reading. <laughs> and uh, I, I didn't get very far into it until I began, you know, it's like, it's like some wheels start turning in your head. The, these women, it turns out that that husbands were not interested in the misfortune that had been fallen the women. That's women's talk. And so the women were trapped in, in their misfortunes unless they could share it. I found from, from some others that uh, they, don't, they don't like to share things like that because people will take advantage of them. But in this particular case, the women would get together periodically and uh, they would tell their, their stories. And I guess whoever had the worst story or the the most misfortune, you know, would sort of win the thing, but it was a way of discharging their emotion. And uh, I thought, well, this is really interesting because it, this is something that women will do. They, they do get together with their peers and they talk about things like this. And how, how can we make use of that? Or how can we tune into that? Well, I, I, didn't, I didn't know what to do at the time. I continued to think about that. And as slowly the, the idea uh, came to me, why not? go through the Bible, comb through the Bible stories, and pull out the stories of women that suffered misfortunes. And, and put these, you, you can arrange them chronologically, it doesn't, doesn't matter, but anyway, just to, to get them in there. And since these women don't want any Christian teaching or preaching, your hands are tied. You, you can't have learning activities as such, not, not, not the typical learning activities that we normally like to use, just the stories. And then the stories sometimes needed to be perhaps told with a different slant than we normally would think about a story. An illustration of that was 
the, the story of, of the uh, four women and the story of the flood. We normally focus on Noah and, and the flood and the activities of the flood, but this becomes a story of four women who lost their families. Obviously, if those the only the ones in the ark were saved, that meant that all of the family, family of, of Noah and, and relatives and all perished in the flood, and which would include the families of these three wives of his sons and of Noah's wife's family. And then I, I, I was stymied at this point because it, it kind of left you with, okay, we're reviewing a disaster. Now what? And then I, I just seemed, the Lord seemed to say to me, well, then talk about how I redeemed their lives or how their lives were redeemed. And so, of course, it's just a very short line there at the end. But these women became the mothers to replenish the earth, which has resonated really well with, with women out in that part of the world, Central Asia, uh, South Asia. Uh, Eve uh, lost a son. And at the end of the story there, she says, God has granted me another son to replace the one that I lost. So he redeemed her heart, her hurt from, from that. And uh, so on and on through, through the uh, uh, Hannah, who's childless, and God redeemed that by answering her prayer. And so the line of stories, and finally you get down to the stories of Jesus, the woman who was uh, bent over in the synagogue, crippled. He laid his hand on her and straightened her up and healed her. And the, then the woman uh, that came in, uh, a, a sinful woman who came and anointed the, the feet of Jesus, he forgave her sin. So each of the stories in, I wanted to lead up to the story of Mary and uh, the prophecy that one day a sword would pierce her soul uh, when they were at the temple dedicating Jesus after his, after his birth. And then closing with the, uh, she was present at the cross and saw him crucified. And he turned her over to his friend John and told John to take care of his mother. And, and so, but I struggled with the fact that I, I wanted to have teaching. I, w- I wanted to have questions that would start a dialogue. But it turned out God was gracious and, and good and, and prevented me from doing that because I would have I ruined the pie, so to speak, because it turns out that these stories provoked response and questions. And so as we've learned, the faithful Bible storyer who, who only tells the stories and then just sits there and fellowships with the women, she falls right into a dialogue that the women themselves generate. This develops a friendship between the storyer and the women. And they want to know more because this is their world, and it's talking about something that they experience. And so we got off to a kind of a slow start. At that time, I was still having trouble getting women storyers to, to focus on, on, on women. Some did not see this as... Uh, evangelistic enough. And yet the whole set of stories moves toward the fact that God provided for these women in the Old Testament, just as Jesus healed and forgave and and cleansed women in in the gospel stories. And it led them right up to the cross. People have come in several times and said, what do you talk about after you tell the story? Just don't worry. Just tell the story and see what happens. And so it's been fairly successful. We've, we've had a number of people report on using this. Women have been very responsive on this. Uh, the women like to talk if they have the freedom to talk. They will talk. And so they generate their own lesson as it is. And there's nothing wrong with them also sharing from their own misfortunes that have befallen them. It becomes, in, in that part of the world out there, there, there are a lot of misfortunes that follow women. 
from childbirth accidents uh, to various diseases that women experience and, and, and things that happen to them. It, it gave me an idea that we need, we need to have some stories that were, more, that were more related to everyday life because this is where people were open and were willing to talk about it. And, and so it's been slowly growing. I, I get a number of requests. Most people who won't re, want to have that, rather than buy the book, they, they really want the, the recording, uh, uh, the uh, digital form. But I always tell them, I said, go to your Bible. And I can give you the list of stories. And you go to your Bible and you pull the stories out and you, you prepare them as you would tell them for your people. And then just trust me. When the people hear the stories, they will talk about them. And so it, it kind of opened up a new genre of, of uh, approaches. Yeah, and it, it reiterates the need to really understand how to craft a story. And we've, we've dealt with that in some podcasts, and we will continue to, to look at that. But I think it's great that you've got these resources, these sets of stories that you've developed. But really the, the key for them being accepted in different communities is that contextualization, the how stories are told in that culture, the verbiage that you use and how you tell it. I think even the titling of the story you mentioned about mm. the four women who lost their families. Oh, yeah. When I first saw that title, I thought, hmm, what, what story from well, the Bible is exactly. this? I was thinking the same thing. And I've used it sometimes with groups I was teaching about Bible storing, and I'd say, okay, I'd tell them even if it's a set of stories from the Bible, it's about women, I'd give them that title and say, okay, what story from the Bible is that? And even biblically knowledgeable Christian people would say, hmm, I don't remember any story about four women who lost their families. And then if they thought about it long enough, sometimes, you know, somebody in the group will say, well, is that, now you often have another guest or two they'll make, and then they'll maybe come around to that. But two things really intrigued me about that. One was your insight that you mentioned just a moment ago, that you realized you needed to take a fresh angle on it. Mm. I'm not sure if that's the word you use, but something like yeah. that. And then second, how you arrived at something that was a fresh angle, but wasn't oddball. You know, sometimes people's efforts to become creative or fresh are just strange. They're not really constructive and helpful. They're just oddball. And so I'm, I'm curious, just talk us with us a little bit about that creative process, so the whatever led to that insight that you needed to do something different, and then how do you find something that is different in an appealing way without just being weird? Well, I would have to say, first of all, is that it, it was not my creative ability that put this thing together. I Clearly, when I look back on this, there were too many coincidences that happened. It had to be the leading of the Lord. It had to be the leading of the Lord that had me down in, in, in South Bangladesh to experience this situation, this need. It had to be the, the leading of the Lord that caused me to pick up that book in Pakistan, and throw some through it and read it. And then I got back. I couldn't, I couldn't rest. It, it, it just stayed on my mind. Then I, I began reading these Bible stories with a different mindset. We, we never think about the four women in the story of the flood. I found that, that oftentimes with women, they want, when you tell that story, they want to know more about them. There's, there's nothing about them, and they want to know. When they ask questions, they don't, they don't want to know the size of the ark and how deep the water was and all that. They want, they want to know about those women and their families. They were the only, the only members of their families that survived. It just it opened a whole new concept of looking at stories for me. 
I've often wanted to go back and reread the book again, just to go back to the roots, uh, as it were. Uh, it, it has been helpful to me also to open my eyes to other possibilities for uh, choosing stories that answer life questions that sometimes we don't address and that open the doors to people's hearts. As it is with, with the women that, that these stories have been used with, they, they become open. Uh, it's a way of presenting the Bible to them in a way that, that talks to their world and their needs. And at the same time, it's leading them toward a source of truth. In the story of Mary and the women there, we found that the, the stories of women, like, for instance, the sinful woman that wept at the feet of Jesus, powerful story in mm. India, in that culture, because the head is a holy part of the body, and the feet is a lowly part. And when you meet someone who has a greater social statue than you, it's, it's nice to touch your head and bend down and touch their feet. It's a symbolic way of saying, you know, I'm, I'm respecting you. But this woman, unloosing her hair uh, and then wiping Jesus' feet with her hair, they, they see that story, and they, they see things in that story that we don't see. The Pharisees were, were disturbed at this woman. Does he know who's, who's touching him? She's a sinner. But she was doing something that honored Jesus. And it's a cultural sort of thing. It transferred across the, into the Hindu culture. So to op- open my eyes to look for things like this that, that are fresh ways of getting into a story and providing. Now, you know, it, it would be wonderful, you know, that I could just sit down and start having all these mental flashes and start producing story sets. A lot of the story sets have come out of requests that people have made. Now, that was not necessarily a request, but that was a need that I saw being out on the field. But but many of the story sets have come out of requests that people have made. Someone will write to me and ask, do you have any stories about and so, uh, no, I don't, but here's a couple I send them. And I got to think about that. And then by and by, I get another request. Do you have any stories about same thing? And then maybe a third time. So I have a little rule of thumb. The first time gets my attention. The third time gets my action. So I guess we need to find three people to write you about the same I, thing. I, so I that... know. <laughs> uh, we're, we're going to game the system. Exactly. And, and I'd like to, you know, to be able to say, uh, hooray, I've got a... I'm going to just sit down and whip this thing out. But, you know, a story set like that sometimes takes a year or more for it to come together. And I started off doing these things on the field where I was with the people. The God and woman mm-hmm. stories, for instance, grew out of just such a need that the women were not were not being addressed in a way that their hearts and minds would be open. And that meant going back and looking at the stories quite differently and including some stories that we don't normally tell and then providing a resource that could be used. So uh, a, second, a second book that followed that one was The Heaven is for Women, which has gotten some bad comments of people. They, uh, they feel, you know, you're, they don't understand why, I'm, why I titled it that way. But I, I was working in a world where women, out of a thousand women, only a few would be able to go into paradise because they missed so many of their prayer days because of their monthly periods. And even Solomon himself said, out of a thousand women, only one would, would be worthy of heaven. Uh, that's a quotation of Solomon. And so I, I had put together a, a study for the God and woman thing, and I went back and looked at some issues in that and realized that these women needed more assurance about uh, paradise or heaven was for them as well as for the men. 
and that God was a provident God that, that uh, cared for women and did things for women specifically. And so this call for using women's stories, stories of Hannah and uh, Manoah's wife uh, and the story of Samson and, and uh, Bathsheba and, and others that, uh, that the women would resonate with. And at the same time, the, the biblical truth was in the story and in how the story ended. And so th- this e- eventually then begins to coalesce into a story set. Sometimes it starts off with a short set of stories. I, I had a request from, from a church here in the U.S. for a set of stories to use in India uh, with women. We were sending a team of women out to India, uh, work with Hindu women. And they, they wanted uh, a, just a, a short list of stories that they could do while they were there. And so I put together 12 stories to send out. And uh, they, this went well. The set of stories, uh, they would write back and said, you have more stories like this. And so finally that evolved into a set of stories uh, that God's forgiveness for women. And so it was over a process of several years that that developed. I like the, I like just hearing you peel back what went into creating these story sets because I think sometimes we inadvertently give the impression that this is an easy process that we can just, oh, let's sit down to this afternoon and come up with a set of stories for whatever people you're working with. But I appreciate the fact that, you know, you said it could take a year to come through and develop, hone that that set of stories uh, for for a particular person, group. Would you accept 10 years? I've been working on a set of Navajo stories over 10 years, probably. And it's the problem of getting to the elders. The elder, among the elders, many are shepherds. Mm. Uh, they're not interested in the white man's religion. But where the biblical world touches their world, they have sacred mountains. There are four sacred mountains. We have sacred mountains in our Bible stories. Yeah. Uh, the Israelites were a tribe or tribes. Uh, they, they are tribes. There's so many things that, that correspond across cultural lines. But, you know, as an outsider, you don't necessarily know this. And I, I, I wish, you know, that I would have the opportunity to be there and talk with these people and do some testing and see how they would respond on this. For instance, uh, David uh, dancing before the Lord when the ark was brought into Jerusalem. They would understand that, this, this festive uh, dancing like this, as a ceremonial dancing. You know, we, we don't do ceremonial dancing. So, But anyway, stories that incorporate even, even a thing like that, the, these are relational checkpoints that, that they will, their hooks, you know, get their attention. Now, I, I, don't, I don't lay awake at nights, uh, you know, trying to dream up a new story set. But like I say, they just evolve. And so each of these, the, the, the book on fast-tracking stories that, that I uh, had done, this, this came out of a practice that we found that there were places where people were hostile. And if you could get a story started and not stop it, don't, don't interrupt it at all, they would stay with you all the way through the story, even though they, when you got down near the end of the story, they, were, they didn't like what they were hearing, but they stayed with it because they wanted to know how it ended. And so we, we found that uh, whether you were fast-tracking, where you're in a hostile area, or whether you were uh, doing this because time was short, a short fast track, a few stories that you could go in and do. In North India, there's a valley that is snowed in during the wintertime. You can only get in there in the summertime. And so you, you have a narrow window to go in there and do, do whatever you're going to do to plant a seed. And so do we have story sets, you know, that would allow you to go in and do a focused thing uh, in a short period of time. 
I don't have a story set for them, but I'm just using that sure. as an example. There, there have been a number of, of story sets that have uh, come out of uh, ministry, uh, water stories, for instance, uh, because of uh, the wells are poisoned in Bangladesh. 60% of the wells have fecal matter uh, in the wells, and the other almost 40% have arsenic in the wells or salt water. And uh, I've tasted the arsenic in, in the wells, and I, I highly recommend not doing that. <laughs> but, but we, and, and the other thing is that uh, the, the communities that are non Christian do not allow the Christians to use their well. And so we go into a village where this happens, and, and we sink a well that's, that anybody can use. And while you're sinking the well, and the people are standing around watching them sink the well, you have a wonderful time to tell the stories. And so the water stories, uh, so we've, we found, and then that carried over into Cambodia, with the water of light projects there with people, arsenic in the water over there. They were drinking dirty pond water and getting sick. And, and so they invented a, a way to purify the water simply, something that could be managed in the farm. And so the water stories. And then, then we had the disaster from the tsunami in uh, Southeast Asia. We, we needed a set of disaster response stories that were not so much evangelistic as they were providential, that, that, that God uh, is concerned about our, our health and our needs, and he, he is powerful to redeem our needs no matter what happens, and some stories that we could, we could use in that. And then the food stories. We had a lot of feeding, famine relief type things. And uh, that, uh, I remember that from Lynette and Marvin. They're... Their Bible story was interrupted by a famine relief program in West Africa. And so they, they were away for several months, involved in a famine relief. And when they came back, the people had forgotten everything. So they had to start over again from the beginning. But anyway, a set of stories that could be used in, in famine relief. And so some of these stories were not evangelistic in, in a sense, not openly evangelistic. I mean, th- there was that thread that was in there leading always to the story of Jesus. Uh, the water stories. He thirsted so that we might drink freely of the water of life. And so we, we were moving in, in that direction. The, the food stories, I am the bread of life, come down from heaven. And then on this, uh, the first disaster stories, uh, it wasn't long before there was a terrible earthquake in northeastern Pakistan. And, and we had a couple up there and, and they had a cry for stories, for disaster response stories. And so I modified that just a little bit and sent them. And so they use those stories up there. So as trying to bring this podcast to a close, I would love to, if we could end this podcast with you, I mean, you just rattled off a dozen story sets that you've just produced and helped people with over the years. What advice would you have for someone who is who is developing a story or they're working with a people group or they have a situation that they're trying to address, deal with, what advice would you give that team as they are trying to develop a set of stories? I mean, obviously they could write you, but if they were trying to (laughs) develop a set themselves, how should they go about trying to accomplish that? Well, first of all, it it has to do with what you understand about the people. Uh, You need to spend time with them. Sometimes we can learn from others who have gone in to work with the people and maybe have, have written dissertations or things that uh, would, would give us some directions that we have. We, we study their, their culture. We, we need to, to know about their concerns, their life concerns. 
It's always wonderful to sit down with a group of people who maybe who maybe with other uh, denominational groups or other other mission teams and to talk about a set of stories and, and brainstorm, put together a set from everybody's contribution. Now, I'm, I couldn't say that, that God leads everybody to sit down and put together a story set. I've been really blessed in all the things that have happened to me. And I've still got a six or seven story sets in my bucket list that, you know, I really mean to get get to. And so I'm hoping the Lord will let me live until I get to those. But it's a long process. You pray about it. You know, where can I start? What can I do? We need to know the Bible. You know, I started off knowing about the stories, but not knowing the stories. When I say knowing the stories, I mean living the stories. You know, where you get into the story and you, you look at the little things that we gloss over when we read the stories. And then you begin to see openings in there. And even in your normal story sets, this opens up. For instance, the story of David and Bathsheba. When David was confronted by Nathan the prophet who told him the story of the rich man who took the poor man's sheep, and it angered David. And he blurted out, said, that man must repay four times. And then Nathan said, sir, you're the man. Well, uh, by and by, the love child died, lived a week and died. And then Amnon, the oldest son, was killed by uh, Absalom. Then uh, Absalom had rebelled against his father and was killed by the military. And finally, Adonijah, the oldest surviving son who should have taken the throne, was killed during the days of Solomon when he desired to have David's concubine. And so Solomon had him put to death. So Four times. Four times. And uh, in that part of the world, your sons are your social security system. And so when you, you lose sons like that, it's, it's a... That's an ingenious way of, of seeing, I like how you said that, seeing the things that normally are glossed over four times. And that, that's a very powerful use of that story that I'll confess I've never, never noticed. And then on, on top of that, among Muslims, David is one of their prophets. Uh, we don't mm. consider him a prophet, but they do. They consider him a prophet. And prophets don't sin. That story leaves him struggling because of what happens in the story. Mm. And the fact that he, he had Bathsheba's husband literally had him killed by mm-hmm. what happened out there. And then he glossed over. He just said, well, you know, the sword takes one and then another. You know, he just kind of tossed it off. And they get angry when they hear that. And you leave them with something you have to think about. Yeah. That even, even prophets sin. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, one of the things you mentioned that I think is really significant for people who are thinking about the story crafting and particularly creativity is you have mentioned the importance of looking at characters we often don't pay a lot of attention to. And so just methodologically, it seems to me one thing is to say, you know, if you're looking at familiar stories and trying to see that if there's another angle to them we've missed, pay attention to the characters you tend to overlook, pay attention to the details mm-hmm. that you tend to pass quickly over. And so really what you're calling people to, or urging people to, is a more careful exploring of the story and pondering and thinking in more detail about some of the things that get less attention under normal circumstances. And I think just to summarize, then a kind of a third thing I hear you saying is you need to approach these biblical stories to the extent that you can from the vantage point of the people you're preparing them for. I mean, normally we approach them through our own eyes, our own culture, our own contextual situation. But if you can think to the extent that you understand your audience, you say, okay, how would they approach this story? And that can also generate insights. That's what I hear you saying. There's one more thing I left out of the grief stories. 
Uh, when I was there in uh, in southern Bangladesh, in in that uh, group, that there was a woman who brought a doll to me about a foot or so tall, and she's holding a child in her arms and and holding the hand of a a girl standing next to her, a short child. She handed it to me and she said, don't forget us. So I uh, brought that back home and Mabel kind of mocked me a little bit. My my wife kind of mocked me a little bit. She said, you know, (laughs) what are you doing with a doll? I said, well, that doll talks to me. The woman who handed me that doll said, don't don't forget us. I think that doll is here on campus somewhere. I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I may have brought it here and left it. But that was in my study, and it was where I could see it oftentimes. I, I meant to mention something about that, but I, that, that was kind of a reminder. You know, keep working, keep searching. You, you're not finished yet. And so, in a sense, I, I hope I haven't forgotten that woman that handed me the doll. I, it was, again, I, I'm sure it was of the Lord, you know, that, I'm going to just give you something here that will tickle your memory every now and then, keep you reminded this is something you need to finish. But it took me probably a year and a half to finally get to a set of stories. And I always tell people, I said, you know, get the idea from this, and then you do your own stories and tell them your way. But be sure to focus on the misfortune the women had and how God redeemed it or how Jesus redeemed the life of that woman. Well, I appreciate you sharing with us the the history of these grief stories, and you give us a lot to think about as we bring this episode to a close. We will remember, as you've you've said, and maybe that image of the doll. Each of us has something like that that we've picked up over the years from different places, and just let that continue to be a, a memory of the need that are there. Please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. If you like what you hear, please share it with others. We would really appreciate your helping us get the word out about That Reminds Me of a Story.